Good worship. You may be seated. That is such a powerful doctrinal song. Teaches our heart. My favorite part is he rescued us from sin by interposing his precious blood. Great song. This next uh, few weeks during the holiday seasons, because Thanksgiving is going to be here before you know it, and then Christmas and the new year, I want to take some time and just talk about the disciplines of grace. Jesus ended with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where he gives us the commission to go, make disciples of the whole world, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all things. Now listen, you got salvation not by works. By grace we're saved through faith, not, not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes and he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. Salvation, when you have new life in Christ, you get the spiritual DNA of, of Jesus. And the Bible tells us, Peter wrote in his, in his epistle, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Second Peter chapter uh, 1. Everything we need, it's in there. But there will be decisions. The thing about the Christian life, two principles. First of all, dependability. We always depend upon the Holy Spirit. We sang about the victories. Realize every victory won, it was God's power in us. Dependent, dependability and discipline. There are decisions to be made. Years ago, it was Kenan's uncle asked me, he'd just come to know Jesus Christ as Savior not too long before that, Todd Schmidt, and he said, hey, Paul, when, did it get to, when do we get to the place in the Christian life where there's no more forks in the road? I said, when you get to heaven. There's always decisions to be made. Some of them are easier. Some of them are harder. But they're all about the decisions. So I want to talk about the disciplines of grace and today, the basics. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Give us understanding that we might be equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be in different passages of scripture. And then at the beginning of the year, we're looking at getting into an epistle. We just got finished with the gospel of Matthew. Then we want to look at an epistle. But in between, I just want to talk about the disciplines of grace. I think as Christmas and the holidays come, it's talked as a time of joy and a time of peace. But the reality is, for many people, it's the worst time of the year. Nostalgia can be very painful when we think about the ones that are not there anymore. And so I want to talk about these disciplines because... It takes, you have all that you need of the Holy Spirit and the giftedness and the grace when you got saved. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It didn't say work for it. That which Christ has placed in you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Grace, we say, as a definition, is the power and the desire to do the will of God. Now listen, every believer's heart 
Our ultimate desire is to hear from Jesus, well done, faithful servant. How we do that? It's by decisions. Decisions we make. Many times in the midst of trials. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 5, he gloried not just in his salvation, but we glory in tribulation also because tribulation works patience. That's the ability to endure. And patience experience, we've been there before, so now we know God can bring us through. And experience hope, and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. He gloried in tribulation because that's how we learn God's grace and God's presence in a more powerful way. You know, when things are easy and there's no trial, we float around and pretty soon we kind of drift away, don't we? And the trial kind of wakes us up. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just to put us in context, Paul begins this, this chapter talking about the times and the seasons. Brethren, you have no need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And when they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, in the last times, perilous times will come. In the last days, perilous times are going to come. We live in perilous times. It seems like our culture is upside down from even 10 years ago. You say, well, how do we act different? A lot of churches think they ought to act different. They ought to pull back on the message because they don't want to offend anybody. Pull back because it might get them in trouble. But listen, Christians have stood the test before. And as strange as it may see, as it may seem, Peter says, don't be surprised when suffering comes because of your stand. The requirements for faithfulness are the, the same for the times of ease or times of trial. Paul wanted the boldness, and he told P- Timothy in his, his last instruction that be ready to preach when it's in or when it's out of season. When it's received and when it's not, we still stand for truth. But we do that by the grace of God. Now, these are basics. Today, we're going to talk about the decisions we make that are more internal. Later, I want to talk about Thanksgiving that's external, that's praise. That's another discipline. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25 through 27, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way, not as beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Now, in the King James, it says, I buffet my body. Now, it's spelled the same if you say, I buffet my body. I think a lot of believers are buffeting their bodies. They're hoping somehow they just come to maturity without discipline. But he said, no, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And one of our favorite church verses is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. Discipline. You know, when my boys were growing up, they were all sprinters. It kind of went along with football. So they played football in the fall, and they ran track in the springtime. And we had a very good coach in those days. Paul Williams, he's a believer. Helped us with FCA. Paul Williams had done his running. He was a middle distance runner, but his coach, when my boys were in high school, his coach in college was now, at that time, the Olympic sprint coach. Now, I just grew up thinking you're either fast or you're not fast. You know what? That's true. Runners know 
that everybody has more or less fast twitch or slow twitch muscles. If you have more slower twitch muscles, you can run distance further. Anything for a Martin past 400 yards is long distance. We like to go fast and hard and short, right? But you would see the difference of those sprinters that were coached to have the discipline of sprinting and the disciplines that went along with that when you went to a track meet. There was a big difference between the athletes at Laramie and Central High School in Cheyenne and a lot of the other athletes, especially when you would look at the, the 3A schools. Since they just went out, somebody probably didn't have any training coaching, they just went out, and so you'd see these kids running down the track, and their arms are all over the place, and their legs are all like right, and they were, they were pretty fast. But then when you see a disciplined sprinter, it's fluid and it's smooth, and you'll see the difference. The same is true in the Christian life. When you're saved, you're going to make it to heaven. But so many people's life looks like a pinball machine because they're just paying off all the different experiences in their life, and there's no flow to it because they've never learned the discipline of hiding God's word in their heart and then obeying God when the trouble came. You see, every good coach teaches basics every single practice. Even the professionals are always teaching basics. Why? Because when the contest takes place and the war is on, the battle is being fought, you don't want to have to think about it. You just want to make sure you're doing the right thing with flow. And so you do basics over and over and over again. Here in chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18 are three of the basics of the Christian discipline. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And these three are separate disciplines, but they all kind of go together. Whatever sport you happen to be in, whether it's gymnastics or, or football or basketball or volleyball or running, there are basics that when a trained coach is watching a team, he can see, now these people are disciplined or they are not disciplined based upon the contest and how things flow when the pressure's on. You see, Paul's goal was to teach the whole counsel of God to the churches that he established so that they were ready for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for discipline, for instruction, for correction, for instruction rights that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work, ready for whatever comes. And trials are coming to the Christian life. In spite of what the health and wealth, the false gospel teaches, that you get saved and everything's going to be rosy and wonderful, that's not life. All you have to do is look at the life of Jesus. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. In his invitation, the great Sermon on the Mount, he basically said, there's storms coming to every neighborhood. How are you going to build your house? Storms are coming. You can do the fast, cheap thing and just build on the sand. Doesn't take much money. Just build on the sand. You don't have to dig down. But storms are coming. And when the storm comes, it says that house was crushed and great was the fall of it. But the same storm came to a neighborhood where the man had taken the time, the wise man, to dig down and put the foundation on the rock. So when the storms came, the house stood. 
even as a believer, you can be crushed by the trials, or by discipline, you can learn to obey the Word of God so that when the trials come, what you will remember from the trial is the joy and the presence of the Lord. And that will encourage you when the next trial comes, say, you know what, we've been here before. That, that patience I learned before has worked experience, and I have hope because I learned that the Lord is so close to me in the trial. But it's the discipline. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. David wrote, how shall a young man keep his way straight? How do you know in the hard times if you're going to make the right decision? Well, by listening to the word of God. Then he says, thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. He hid God's word. Just like you come to a trial the first time as a believer, you might fail. Maybe you're a new believer and you're, you're failing. And so you talk to one of your friends who's been in, in Christ longer. Or maybe you go to the pastor and elder and you say, I'm having this trouble right here. Can you point me what the Bible says about that? That's so wise. And then you take that portion of Scripture you ought to do, memorize it. So the next time that trial comes, whoosh, you got the sword right there. It's right there. That's what practically David's talking about. So when the trials come, the questions come, the temptations come, the Word of God is there. Now, sometimes that's learned by failure, isn't it? We fail, then we learn the Scripture. We don't have to learn that way. The whole, if the whole counsel of God is being preached in the church... And in your Bible studies, and in your doxa, and in your youth group, then that becomes the standard for our life. So when trouble comes, we know where to go. That's why David said, when trouble comes, I run to my high tower. I go to the high rock. What happens there? We get God's perspective on what's going on. So he begins. Verse 16, rejoice always. When? All the time. You see, that's ridiculous. But see, Christian joy is different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Like if somebody just walked in and said, hey, out in the parking lot, we purchased for you a brand new car. And you say, oh, I need a new car. That's great. And so you're really happy because you got a brand new car. And then they hand you the payment book. Say, we got it for you, but you're going to pay for it. And you go, oh. And about the third month, that becomes a burden. Circumstantial. What God gives us in Christian joy, and this is only for believers, only, only born-again Christians have this, is joy that's deep, abiding hope that no one can take from you. Now, you don't have to live there as a believer. It comes by the discipline, obeying the word of God in times of trial. When you just run to the rock, you run to God's word and say, all right, I'm going to discipline myself to be obedient to the word of God. And you know what? You have grace. If you will open yourself up for the decision, the first decision is recognizing, oh, this is a trial, right? Sometimes we get driven down the road and we're feeling stressed and, and, uh, and panicky, and then we finally wake up and go, oh, hold it. This is a trial. You may have to talk to yourself and say to yourself, self, this here's a trial, right? What do we do? Well, the Bible says, always rejoice. And you may say at that time, I don't even know what that means. But see, 
Christian joy is that which doesn't go away because you are founded upon the rock. Some things to remember. First of all, we should always rejoice because we have God's righteous character. We can depend upon God. God is faithful. We can rejoice that he's faithful. As Pastor Howe is always saying about trials, this has gone through God's hands. And the Bible's promised there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful and would always make a way through the trial. So you recognize in God's faithfulness that you're not alone. That he hasn't left you out to just be there on your own so you can go to him and you can say, not Lord, why? Because so often that's what we, our flesh reaction is, why me? Why not you? The Bible says man is born to trouble as the sparks fly up. We live in this world like everybody else. Bad stuff happens to Christians just like it happens to people that are lost. The difference is we have hope. But in that opportunity, when all of a sudden we realize we're in a trial, we can discipline ourselves to be able to go go through the blessings of God. We should rejoice because we have the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't have that. He can give us direction. He can lead us to the answer in the word of God. Fourthly, believers should rejoice because the vast array of spiritual blessings we possess. All heavenly blessings are ours in Christ. When you receive Christ as your savior, you got his DNA. You got his DNA, his spiritual DNA, And all the blessings of God in Christ Jesus are yours. Fifth, we have joy because God is always providing for us. Even in trials, we can say, all right, I wonder what the Lord's trying to do here. And we can ask. The Bible says to a man in the trial, James chapter 1, if we lack wisdom, we don't understand what it's about, we can go to God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. He's going to chew you out for asking. And then we can quiet ourselves and say, well, we're just going to see what the Lord's going to do here. We should be joyful out of gratitude for the promise of future glory. Romans 9, Paul wrote, whatever we suffer here, cannot be compared to the glory they're going to share with Jesus. And we don't even, we don't even comprehend that. All that, you, all that you can know in that trial, as bad as it is, is this is going to be nothing compared to the glory we're going to share with the Lord Jesus one day. Seventh, answered prayer. In 1 John, one of the marks of the believer is he hears our prayer, and we have that confidence that he hears our prayer Do you know what confidence that is? Do you know what a blessing that is? The world knows nothing about it. Sometimes they'll talk to an unbeliever. And I tell them often, I I find out they have something maybe, and as a friend of mine, I'll say, listen, I'm praying for you. The next time I see them, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. And sometimes an unbeliever will say, oh, I feel it. I don't know what that means. So you don't believe in prayer, Pastor? Of course I do. But the reason we know is not that we have a feeling, you know, prayer bush by us but we see God's answers we see his provision we see his direction he answers us we have a relationship the world knows nothing about they're just on their own 
They don't have that confidence that God answers their prayers. And we do. God's word. What an amazing blessing. The psalmist said it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We can go to the word of God and say, God's word says, I don't understand this. God's word says this. I'm just going to obey. And you can trust God put it there on purpose for you. I'm going to obey. And then the privilege of genuine fellowship. That brings continual joy. There's nothing like a brother or sister that's telling you in the midst of your trial. Because you see, fellowship is not just talking around donuts and coffee. Real fellowship, Christian fellowship means that they're in it with you, that they are bearing the burden with you. And whatever they can give you, they are there for you because they're your brother in Christ. And all of our resources are God's resources. People that don't have Christian fellowship have no idea what they're missing. That's why Paul said when a brother's erring and they're in sin and then they don't want to repent, you put them out of fellowship. And if they're really a true believer, that'll be so painful, they'll say, I can't live like this. And they'll repent and come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think it's the same guy in 2 Corinthians that Paul says, okay, take him back in now. Fellowship is such an amazing blessing when you go through a trial and you have believers with you there's nothing like it compared to doing it on your own finally true believers cannot help but help express their joy at the saving app proclamation of the gospel that God has called us into partnership with him to see other people come to Christ I remember in the midst of one trial that it was on the 3rd of June, and the Lord brought that exact thought to my mind. So, have they told you you can't preach the gospel anymore? No. Are people still responding to the gospel? Yes. So what are you worried about? Nothing. God's word puts things in perspective for us. But we have that great joy of seeing people come to Christ. Last week, we heard those testimonies. I got to hear a lot of them twice because I, I hear the testimony before that people get baptized, then I hear them when they're getting baptized. And there is nothing like that because what we're seeing is God's power reaching down through time and space and touching an individual life, and we get to be a part of that. There's an old gospel song that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. See, that's what we need to remind of. Sometimes David would be in the midst of a trial, and he'd say, Lord, you're, you're so far from me. I don't know where you're at, and I pray, and I'm just all by myself. And then God reminds him of his deliverance before, and David begins to recount God's goodness. And pretty soon, what's David doing? He's rejoicing. We need to be reminded but these things go together. A joyful Christian is more concerned about glorifying God than just the trials they're in. But see, that takes maturity, and maturity only comes because of the decisions that you made in trials before. If you never have any trials, you're not growing. But there's no such thing as a Christian without trials. But as you go through a trial and you learn, I'm going to glorify God, I'm going to obey the word of God, then you get that confidence for the next trial. You already know the way through that trial.
Secondly, prayer. Paul says, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? I hope that you pray when you're driving, but I hope you don't close your eyes. That'd be a really bad decision to close your eyes. Even if there's a really pressing need, do not close your eyes when you're praying and you're driving. What does it mean? It means that we're living and practicing the presence of God at all times. The Bible tells us that God sees us all the time, right? And he is aware of everything that's going on. And God wants us on his page and what he's doing. So you may drive by and are reminded about a friend, and so you give them a call. And you pray for them. And you might say to that friend, you know, God put you on my heart, and so I was just praying for you. I thought I'd just give you a call and see how you're doing. It says being relationship with God. So that your first response in a trial, in trouble, in a challenge is prayer. Prayer. Guess what? You're going to be praying all the time without ceasing. Hopefully you have times of prayer where you just sit in your prayer closet and you can just talk to the Lord. But God doesn't want us just to be praying at those times. He wants us to be in an attitude of prayer, which is practicing the discipline of God. That we are walking him in this walk every single day. So that we're always in an attitude of prayer. We sang a song about we just breathing out his grace, breathing in his grace. That is what it's talking about. Then we're not on our own. We're always ready to pray. Now, the fleshly response, especially if somebody injures us or somebody talks about us, and so we get defensive, and our first fleshly response is to tell another human, right? Because if we get people on our side, we can see what a scoundrel that person was. They can all agree with us that that person is a scoundrel. But you know what? Humans can't change anybody. We can't change a heart. And so we learn by discipline, the first thing we ought to do is take it to the Lord in prayer. Times of trial, times of worry. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. So the anxious thought is just the first alarm. Oh, this is a trial. I must be in a trial. First response, what am I going to do? No, no, that's not the first response. The first response is, Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Take it to the Lord. Why? He has the answer. He already knew this trial was coming. He knows the way through the trial. So the faster you get to prayer, the faster you can get through this trial with victory and in obedience. Praying without ceasing. Living out the presence of God. Always available for prayer. And then... 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, he didn't say, in everything, feel thankful. That would be ridiculous. A loved one passes away. The doctor gives you bad news about a health concern. You don't feel thankful. You never feel thankful about people that have passed away. You don't feel thankful. But it says, in everything. How many things? In everything, Give thanks. Why? That is discipline. That is an act of the will. So when a trial comes, as a believer, God brings that verse to your mind, you know the first thing you got to do is give thanks. About what? You don't have to know about what. Just know that is your first response. That's what God says. Well, I understand that. You don't have to understand to be obedient. Do you know that? 
You don't have to understand what the outcome is going to be when, the God, when God has given you specific instruction to be obedient. In everything, give thanks. Over 30 years ago, and some of you heard this story before, but I'm going to repeat it again because it's such, so practical for what, what Christian and I experienced and our family experienced when, when our, uh, our youngest son, Jesse, went home to be with the Lord. He died of sins. We just found him in his crib. He was gone. And that is the verse that the Holy Spirit put on my heart first. In everything, give thanks. And I just couldn't get away from it. So I picked up his little body, and I gathered little boys around me, and we sat on the couch. And I said, guys, the Bible says in everything, give thanks. So that's what we're going to do. And so I just gave thanks. And all I could think of at that time was, Lord, we just give you thanks for the time we have with Jesse, and we just thank you for his life, and we know he's safe with you now. Give thanks. And that was it. And I tell people, because I was talking to Lynn earlier about this, if you've not been through a trial as a pastor, they're not teaching that trial how to grieve and how to minister to people that grieve in seminary. That's something you have to go through. And when you have to go through something, guess what? Some of the best comforters in life are people who have been through those trials. Why? Because they know the way through the trial if they've been obedient. And I tell folks, listen, I want you to be listening now because the Lord is going to be speaking to your heart more clearly than you've ever experienced him before in your life. You're going to find out what it means when the psalmist in Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the shepherd's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares before me a table, a banquet table in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because if he was with me in the trial, I know he's with me in the sunshine. But you learn that in the trial. That evening, um, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 127, he gives to his beloved and he's sleeping. Chrissy was able to go to sleep that night. Not me. I was up because as a dad, you feel like you did this somehow. You did this. You let death in. So all night long, I was going to the door and checking the door, right? Door's locked. I built the fire in the fireplace and I put my boys around me on the couch. I watched them breathe all night. And Lord brought to me Psalm 23. Even though I walked through the valley, shouted, I fear no evil. And I had to tell the Lord, no, no, I'm afraid. I feel like I failed. I'm afraid right now. And the Lord brought a question to my heart. It's not like I heard audible voices. You know what I'm talking about. He brings the scripture to mind. And the question was, so can you trust me now? And I had to think about that a second. And the Lord brought Peter's answer to me when Jesus challenged him at the, when, when he had fed the 5,000 and then in chapter 6 they all went away because he taught doctrine and they all went away and Jesus said to Peter, are you going to go away too? Can you trust me now? Everybody else has gone away. And Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? Thou half the words of life. And the psalmist said, who do I have in heaven but you? I, I got nothing else, Lord. As a dad, 30-something. Lord, I got nothing else. I just got you. So I got no place else to go. 
I was not angry. I was very sad. But what I began to notice is that God just every step of the way was ministering to my heart. I got ready to go down to the uh, funeral home and I said, Christy, you don't have to go. I went down there to pick out a casket and we had such a kind uh, um, undertaker there. He just, uh, I was having a struggle and he just squeezed my arm. I got some strength. But on the way down there, God put on my heart the word of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no trial taking you, but such is a common to man, and God is faithful and allow, not allow you a trial that you cannot bear, right? And in my own mind, I'm thinking, as the Lord brought that verse to my mind, Lord, you overestimated my ability. And here's the thing. God spoke to my heart, and he said, I'm not looking at you, son. You see, the one that's strong in the trial is not us, it's the Lord. It's God in us that wills to do of his good pleasure. It's not us. And then came what I thought was going to be the hardest part, and this is where the joy comes. Because at every point, I was so, I felt so helpless in that whole trial that the word of God would come to my mind and I just do what the word of God said. It's that simple. Because I didn't know, there was nothing else coming. It was just the word of God. We came to that Sunday, that evening, and, and at those, those days, right across from the church building was the funeral home, and so we walked over there for the review. The funeral's going to be on Monday. And I thought, whoo, this is going to be hard. We walked up, and once again, we just prayed as a little family. We rushed over there to get there before everybody else did, because I didn't know how this pastor was going to react. And if you remember, this is when all those college kids had come to Christ in 1988. And I'm thinking, hmm. They're going to find out if their pastor's real or not, right? And we went to the casket, and we prayed again, and we turned around, and without, we didn't, hadn't talked about this. Christy went this way, and I went this way, and we just began to minister to people and encourage them and comfort them. And our parents were here. Christy's mom said to Christy, you know, we came to comfort you, but you're comforting everybody else. And Christy said, yeah, I know. And I sat down by my mom, and I said, I don't understand what's going on here. And my mom said, you know, Paul, you are the guys that are in the real depth of the trial right now. And God's grace is just bearing you up. And we got in the car that night to go home. And Christy said, I do not understand what just happened. And I said, you know, I don't really understand everything either. But I think we just got a glimpse of how God and his grace, when you're obedient, you just do what God tells you to. We begin to get just a little taste of how the martyrs could go home to glory in the fires of persecution, singing praises. How the Apostle Paul, at midnight, after being beaten with his friend Silas, could sing praises to God at midnight. Because I want to tell you something, folks. We have a supernatural God. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you have a supernatural relationship. He walks with you every day. He knows how to bring joy to your life even in the midst of tremendous grief because he is a rock that doesn't change. He is a comfort that is supernatural. So these basics all come together, don't they? In the trial, we're reminded that we should be joyful, but we don't feel joyful. But we get, begin to count our blessings and we can't help but pray. And say, Lord, I understand what's going on here. And I'm available for obedience. And God begins to bring 
the blessings and the directions. And he, he tells your heart, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will. And so by act of the will, because you have been disciplined by the word of God, you give thanks. And when I look back on that time, my tears are really more about joy than anything. I remember my dad asked me to share that testimony a year later at a family gathering. You know, my aunts came up, patted me on the arm. Oh, we feel so bad for you. I get that. But that's not what I remember. I don't remember deep sorrow. What I remember was the closeness of the Lord and the joy that he brought in spite of the sorrow. Do I still miss Jesse? Absolutely. Humans are immortal. And there's a space in our heart that God creates with every loved one that cannot be filled by anything but them except the Lord. But what I remember is not grief and sorrow. What I remember is the closeness of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you those things so that you know trials are coming. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us the power of grace and love and of discipline. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, that we would just submit to it. Lord, we do thank you for the trials because it's in the trials that we experience your love so, so powerfully and your direction so clearly. So when we look back, what we remember is you carrying us. And we know that this is just a taste of the glory that one day we're going to share with you. So even when the trials come after Thanksgiving, we also pray, come Lord Jesus. We anticipate the day that we'll see you face to face. Lord, I pray if there are any here that don't know you as Savior, they don't have that comfort, they don't have that light, they don't have that grace. Lord, they're alone in trials. They just have rules maybe, but no relationship. Oh, Lord, draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together.